Too often, faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzer. Great to be with you today. I, this, this conversation today it was just a fun one. There was a lot of lines that were similar between myself and our guest, David Lutz. Now, David is the author of just an incredible book all about shame, which is called Freedom for the Ragged Saint. And the tagline is learning to love our quirky, authentic, one-of-a-kind selves out from under the rule of toxic shame, the need to perform, and carrying what is not ours to carry. I think I think we're all covered in there somewhere, aren't we? And so he is an author, a therapist, just a man with a fascinating background and a beautiful mind. So let's get right to it. Enjoy this conversation with my new friend, David Lutz. Dave, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. Great to have you with me, not with us. It's, I was going to say with us, but it's just you and me. So there's never <laughs> anybody else here. I think my wife and my dog are in the house somewhere. But, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. You're coming to us from Seattle, Washington. Seattle, I'm Washington. There, so we're kind of across across the country a little bit with each other. But why don't you just introduce yourself, share anything that you'd like people to know before we jump into our conversation today? Well, thank you for having me, Matt. It's been fun to listen to your podcast and um i just feel really very blessed uh this morning as i was kind of just getting ready for things i was just thinking how blessed am i that i get to meet with matt today and um talk about talk about life and uh, i love it so um what i would say about me i say um born in colorado raised in seattle washington and then uh, really uh, when I, I went into ministry uh after my college experience um which was really impacted by call a college ministry here in Seattle called the Inn, which was is a big college ministry that was very dynamic and it was it was hugely impactful on my life. And so I went into ministry doing that and um, did that for about five years and really kind of reached a point where that just was kind of burning me out. And so I have a lot of people that that um, that I'll talk to that go that are going through that kind of a process and. Um, Went and got a, another, uh, I have a master's of divinity, but then I went and got a master's in, in counseling and have been doing that now for 19 years. And I work a lot with people that are, I, I have people that are all over the faith spectrum, all over the faith spectrum. I was, they, they know where I, where I have been and, and am and, and, um, but I have people with no faith, a very liberal faith, very conservative faith. And they, I, I love it. Um, the key thing for me is I just want to meet people. I really, this sounds kind of corny, but I really do feel like I'm meeting them where they're on their journey and I get to be, it's a, just a real privilege. I get to join them and it's almost, archi- it's, a, it's almost archetypal, right? Like it's like, it's like, we're not meant to walk alone. And it's for me, it's like the Genesis one through three for me has so much about just how life works. And one of them is we're just not meant to do life by ourselves. And that's to me. Not just a marriage passage, but it's it's a travel passage. It's a it's a you know friendship passage. It's just it just where wherever we have places in our lives where we feel alone, 
um, somehow we're not, that's not good for us. And so I get to come into places where people feel like, okay, I need someone to travel with me. And that's what I get to do for a living. I joke all the time. It's the great scam that I run that I get, I would probably do it for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you've tricked people into paying. I tri- yep. Yep. As long as they don't let anyone know, it's like, I get well, to do this. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well done. I'm always interested. Um, and that's, that sounds fascinating. I'm excited to get more into some of your thoughts on that and, and some of the projects that you've worked on as well. But I always love to hear it's, it's very important to me to, to know where people came from kind of their faith roots, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so you shared a little bit about kind of where you were college time and things like that, but what did you grow up with? What, what was that like for you from a faith tradition standpoint? Anyway, that's really great. I, I that finding out context is just so important to me. For me, I joke all the time. I, I have a weird thing in my family, which is that I was the fifth generation uh, in my family, skipping the fourth, there's a fifth, third, second, me going to, um, Princeton seminary in New Jersey. We've just, we have a long line of Presbyterian, uh, in our, in our church. That said, my own dad went through a real faith deconstruction of his own. And when I was really little, and so I was actually raised in a, in a, in a congregate congregational church in Seattle, where I really had a faith impact was a place called University Presbyterian Church, and that's where I went when I was in college. And um, that's that, that's that. Besides, I, I also worked at a Christian camp up in in a town called Bellingham in in, in Washington, um, which is where I really started hearing a more clear version of the classic evangelical gospel. And at the time, um, that was really important. My my my. Folks, when I was a senior in high school, um, my folks went through a divorce that I had no idea was coming. Sent my faith into a real spiral because I couldn't figure out how a God that was good and active couldn't help this to get better. And so I went into college um, really throwing my faith out the window, kind of. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, my, my, my belief now is that God is really stubborn and very patient and and willing to go through the process with us and understands that and is not stepping in to do you know to fix everything, but is is that um, you know God with us, Emmanuel. And so um, Coming through that, there was a gal at the University of Washington, Amber Murphy, who just kept asking me every year to come to this thing called the Inn. And every time I'd say, nope, 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 until I finally said yes. And when I went there, it was just like a breath of fresh air. I'd been in a fraternity and did that life, and I think I felt like I needed to do that. And um, really started seeing that as a very empty existence. And thought there's got to be something more to this life um and when i got to the to the end it was like watching people who had that it was like watching true life for me really mm-hmm. and then that began a, that began a, that began the journey so that's that's kind of my yeah. background yeah there's it's always seems to be that those one or two moments right maybe mm-hmm. for you as your parents splitting up or you know yeah you know and then then eventually going to the college ministry we always have those one or two like pivot moments in our life, especially our spiritual life, it seems like. And yeah, 
that could be going throughout life as as well. Now you were sharing before we pushed record, at, and and we were kind of joking about it that this deconstruction word has been thrown around mm-hmm. so much in the last, we'll call it last five years. Okay, it's just and I, to the point now where I think somebody says the word out of their mouth and everybody you know rolls their eyes <laughs> together because it's so much a part of what you know culturally. I think a lot of people are going through individually. A lot of people mm-hmm. are going through. But a lot of us, uh, there's definitely a good core of people that I think for the last, I mean, some of the, some of my friends have been having these thoughts, these questions for probably 34 years, you know, 30, Mm -hmm. 40 years, you Mm -hmm. know, talking about people like Brian McLaren and yeah, right. Like Spencer Burke have been having these conversations. Nobody wanted to listen, but they'd been having them for Mm -hmm. years. And for whatever reason, we're kind of kind of at this point in history where now it's acceptable or now it's just the floodgates are open, whatever it mm-hmm. is, it's just, it's just coming. And you, you told me that you've been helping people through this process uh, for years and years and years. So for you, none of this is new. And so part of your work, even though you work with all sorts of people is you've done a lot of work with people for many, many years that are kind of questioning, doubting, rethinking their faith. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Yep. When I left ministry, I was probably at one of the lowest points in my life. Um, I just really felt in that chapter, um, there was a book out that was, I don't know if you, if you, you know, if Matt, if you, if you experience this, but I've been around long enough where it'll, it'll, a book will come into, into vogue in the church mm-hmm. or some kind of movement. And if you don't get up on with that movement, then you're really not in the spirit. You're probably not on the real inside of the inside. You're not really on the, you know, what you know, whatever. And they'll those books will come, those speakers will come, their their idea. And so suddenly everybody is in that, um, you know, studying that, doing small groups around that. Yeah. You know, and like praying about that. life or whatever when that came exactly. Out. Exactly. If you're not if you're not a purpose driven if you aren't purpose driven, then I'm not sure the Holy Spirit's really working in you, man. <laughs> Obviously, um, yeah, right. And one of those books was called "Experiencing God." Absolutely, yeah. Remember that by it by Black. The, yeah, it's one of the first, like, early in my evangelical journey. I read mm-hmm. that, but really early in it. So that was the rage, and it was one of these things. I was, I was, I was going through was it, it with was it. that Henry Blackaby. Is that? Yep. I get in my Henry Blackaby. Okay. Yep. And they had workbooks and the book, and and um, and I'm not trying to put that down, but the idea on that was that if you if the reason why you aren't getting what you want in life is because you're not praying, not enough expectancy, not enough belief. Um, just there was, you know, it was that idea that there was a whole world available to you if you just prayed with a deeper level of faith. And so we were doing that and there's, and, and that was the, uh, so I was really leaning out on that and, and making some decisions about that, that just went south and, um, really felt very abandoned by God. And when I, and just felt just like, I remember sitting on my couch in Wisconsin with my prayer journal out and i just re- remember putting my journal down writing one last sentence i am alone and putting my putting my journal down mm. and just feeling like god has left and that started a process where i moved back to seattle and and it's the only i, I had one day it, where i thought i don't think i want to live anymore that i don't think i want to do this mm-hmm. 
And that was only one day. And it wasn't, you know, it was just in that contemplation phase. Like this is so empty that what's the point? And all this belief that I'd had about this God that would answer me if I pray in a certain way and to find nothing but the whistling of the wind just left me in a place like all this stuff I've been preaching, so much certainty, so many little what I call luxury beliefs, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation, consubstantiation, transubstantiation, all these terms that we said with so much certainty, this is how God works, for me became uh, absolutely worthless. I can relate to that. First, from a standpoint of feeling like you worked so hard, feeling like you mm -hmm. believed so strongly, believed the mm -hmm. right way, taught mm -hmm. people the right, whatever, you know, you, you work so hard. And then, you know, I too had one of those moments where I just felt like, okay, all of that for this, you know, I, for my situation, I remember sitting in a coffee shop, you know, I was, huh. I was on indeed.com after I got kicked out of the church that I started. And I was like, okay, so all of that work to end up here all by myself, you know, kind of a similar wow. kind of situation, like here I am worked, you know, 18 years of my life to get to this point where nobody cares. And here I am, you know, going to work at, you know, a hardware store or something. And then, you know, having, so the first feeling that I had in that wow. scenario was literally what you had. I feel alone. The second feeling that I had, and it came pretty quick was I can't believe I taught all of these people this thing that now I think is just a bunch of shit. You know, that's, that's kind of when I was in my dark places, right. Of just saying, right. Oh, so much stuff that now I think is is the reason that I feel all alone. You know, so it's interesting. I wonder how many other people have had those real wow. feelings that have been in leadership of like number yeah. one, I feel burnt out and alone, and number two, like I have to forgive myself now for all of this stuff that I, you know, shared with all these people. I tell this story, Matt, where when I came home, um, there's a there's a church service in Seattle that's been going on for 50 years or 60 years called Compline, and it's a it's at an Episcopal church, and it's it's actually you know really popular with the college students that go to to the inn and to rich people and poor people and people of different color and people of different sexual orientation. It's just a beautiful beautiful example of what I think the church could be. But it's a Compline choir that sings in the back of this big cavernous you know, echoey chamber and it's it's very chanty. You can you can hear it um online. And it's it was something I went to all the time when I was in college. And you go there at 9 30 at night on a Sunday and the lights are dim and there's candles and it's you know people bring their sleeping bags and sit on the floor. I mean it's a really beautiful, beautiful time. Wow. But I remember going there and I would be quiet and in the middle of that service, there's a time when everyone is supposed to rise and recite. I can't remember whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would not stand, and I would just sit, and I would not say it because I all the things in, down the line on that creed, I'm I don't I don't think I believe mm -hmm. um, ninety percent of that, and um, and I had this vision. I would just go, and I in in for me. I look back at that younger younger self and I'm I love that scene and I and I, my picture is that Jesus is sitting next to me also not standing hmm. and also not saying anything and just just sitting with me and it was a process of about 4 years 
I think, before my heart, I don't know about your journey, but it was almost like my heart just clamped closed during that phase. It was like a, just like a, like a clamshell, almost just. And then over at about four years, it just started to relax and soften and, and loosen. And it was, and, and for me, that is the work of the spirit is that soft spirit going, okay, there's, God didn't go away and is here on the other side of this. And now let's start the, the next phase of your faith journey. And you're not the only one that's going through this. It was almost like taking all this stuff out of my backpack and just having an empty backpack and saying, okay, I'm only going to put back in here what I think I'm willing to put my weight on, which is one of my old buddies, Mike Gaffney, who was one of the, one of the, pastors of the that I, that I know is a dear friend he would talk about that's how he would define faith is what are you willing to put your weight on and i i switched that to say what am i willing to bet your weight on hmm. in other words if you were standing matt on a on a precipice and that could give away and they said okay his life depends upon the next things you say being relative within the realm of truth start telling me what you believe that grid was really helpful for me. It's like, okay, I believe there is a bigger than. I believe that I think love is a really big deal. I think Jesus somehow has a unique connection to God. That kind of thing. So that's kind of my 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 process of getting to the point where now there's some things that I I don't talk about belief as much anymore as much as i'd say here are the things that i suspect are probably true i love that and it's real it again mirrors my story a lot i you know got to that Tell place me. yeah got Tell to me. that exact same place and i decided you know i'm gonna i'm gonna throw it all out except whatever the lowest the, the, the very basic thing that i'm i'm confident about or huh. just the thing i don't want to lose so for me is like i'll give up everything except i want to have some sort of faith in my life it's always been there so i want to hang on to it doesn't matter what it looks like so then kind of went through those you know still huh. feel like i'm a little bit on that process of like going through jesus faith church prayer you know just letting that journey unfold but there's some i mean that moment when I was in that coffee shop, like equal parts wanting to punch a wall and wanting to jump up and do a bell kick because I felt so free to have that, ex you know, to go through that experience, to lose that certainty, to just be alive. Isn't that the office. truth? Yeah. And, and oh, I things, love it. Yeah. Well, and especially when we're talking about people that were professionals, you know, uh, in the in the Christian circles, whether they're pastors, worship leaders, things like that. I do think there, you know, we talked about it a little bit. I do think there's that piece of shame that we have to overcome because there's a piece of us mm -hmm. that feels uh, shame. For me, it was it was twofold. There was that piece that felt shame, like I already mentioned, because I taught a certain thing that now I struggled to believe. And then there's a piece of me that had such shame that I allowed people's voices to speak into my life in a way that I wish I never would have, which then made me feel less than, I guess. I got to, to this point where, you know, because I so desperately wanted this evangelical train to be real, I so loved the people that I met within the context of it. 
I so loved the people that would mentor me or were the pastors that I was under that I was willing to just give up myself in order to be a part of it. And so if yeah. there was like you had mentioned, if there was a book that everybody's reading, like, okay, I'm going to read that book. Well, this is what everybody's doing. Okay, well, I'm going to do that. You do enough of that over enough years and then eventually getting the pastoral ministry and then running a, a, a you know, I my the church that I ran was, was funded mostly by churches of the community because it's for the poor and homeless in our community. And then you have to you have to say things the right way when you're talking to that that past. You have to say it a little bit different when you you know, and you just keep giving yourself and you keep kind of prostituting yourself down wow. the line. And and so then you get on the outside of that, and there's like I said, there's definitely a sense of freedom, but then you feel shame for this person that you've become, and you feel shame for maybe some of the messages that you've taught. And I know wow. that's a big part of some of the work that you're doing is just helping people. Who are, you know, we all str- I'm I'm a firm believer that we all have self-doubt. We all struggle mm-hmm. internally, whether that's I'm unlovable, whether that's I'm all alone, whether that's I'm not good enough. Like everybody has their thing or their couple of things. And uh, from my understanding, you know, even with your most recent book, Freedom for the Ragged Saint, I even love the name of it because I think, you know, that's how we all feel, right? We all feel you you put that term ragged saint out there i think everybody you know that's listening will probably give you an amen i think you're right there's sort of a double whammy it's like a, a, a shame for who i am but also a shame for kind of like looking back and thinking oh my gosh what did i almost like i want to say this too strong this word gets thrown around a lot but it's almost like looking back and and seeing almost like self-abuse mm-hmm. like i i put myself through this process of like your term, I loved your your phrase of prostituting myself. And I I mean I can look at it with kinder eyes now, but I but I know that that feeling of of those little moments of saying it in the right way, because there is a culture of acceptance in there. There's a culture of for me, a culture of I'm kind of rough drafting this, but it's there's a for me, there's a like a culture of of stardom, like a like rank and the higher up the person was in rank, the more you were to say it the way they wanted you to say it. And if you did, you would get promoted. And if you didn't, you would get demoted mm-hmm. or, you know, at best left out at worst kicked out. And everyone knows that everyone knew that everyone knew that. And there was this, there was this, you know, I think well-intentioned, mostly belief behind it that the that the spirit was active in that in that structure mm-hmm. those who were famous and big the spirit had heavily anointed and those who were not maybe you know their journey was off course and i agree you know i, I don't want to let that that one small point that came out there that i think for the most part you know we're not talking about evil horrible people we're talking about actually very well-intentioned people with huge absolutely hearts. You know, so it's not, you know, this is just what became of it, but I don't think we need to point out people and say, and now that that's not everybody, there's certainly people that were in it for themselves, but, and for the money or the fame or whatever, but in general, the vast majority, that's not the case. The vast majority, no, no. I think, were people that had big hearts. You don't go into ministry because you want to make a bunch of money or get famous. I, I would say that for me, um, I absolutely agree with that. I, I have two. I have written two books. One is "Freedom for the Ragged Saint," and that one is really about. Um, it's it's almost like how if, okay, how do I become, 
how do I be, how do I come to a place where I can actually know who I am? And how do I go through the Catholics have this idea of formation, which I really like this mm-hmm. idea that we're being formed and how do I go through a, my next, my next chapter of formation? This is, that's what freedom for the ragged saint is really a book about walking people through the next journey of formation all the way from starting from the beginning and where they are, where things have fallen apart. They're trying with it. For me, the ragged saint is the one that's just, it's, it's there. I actually define it on the back cover of the book, but it's, it, it, the essence of it is these people that I think are really, really, their hearts are so they're they're They have not given up and they are still, they're, they're getting back up off their knees and they are the ones that are dusting themselves off and, you know, allowing themselves to cry the tears they need to cry and feel the anger they need to feel and all the, you know, go through the whole process and say, okay, now let's, you're in the next chapter. You're not, you're, and I didn't say this in the book, but I would say this to people that this is not starting over. This is chapter five and you just got done with chapter four. And with chapter five, you now know what you didn't know in chapter four. You couldn't have known this. You couldn't be where you are now without going. Chapter four, for me, it's I've said it before, it's like it's like stones across a river that you have to cross each stone. I'm so thankful for my evangelical day, for my chapter for that. That was so essential for me. I loved the there was so much that I learned. I still use so much of the stuff that did, you know, just even how you and I are having this conversation. How many men are sitting here talking about something deeper than the Packers? Right, right. You know, I thank the evangelical church for teaching me how to talk at a at a deeper level. I mean, that was such a revolutionary thing for me. I was I I drank that in um when I when I discovered people having these kinds of conversations. I thank the evangelical church. I certainly didn't learn it in my family mm-hmm. growing up. Um, I didn't learn it from my high school friends. I learned that from being involved in the church, that what you and I are doing right now, I th- I'm thankful for that. Yeah, the evangelical church did a great job, still does a really good job of promoting community as well, right? So having yeah. these conversations, Absolutely. like what you said earlier in this interview of this idea of, you know, not trying to do life alone. And I think you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, we're a bunch of introverts. It's like me, my mom and dad and my brother and all of us are pretty uh, introverted at heart. And so we grew up in this context where we were all kind of independent, but a family, but, you know, kind of had this mentality that uh, life alone is just fine. And uh, I still struggle with that a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but but you that's realize real. the older you get and, and the more you experience it, that life lived together is always more full. And I think I, I attribute a lot of that to the evangelical church and to my wife. My wife is a, is a very much a communal lover of human beings. You know, let's not throw out the evangelical church just because maybe we got hurt while we were there, right? Let's Absolutely. not throw out our past experiences because somebody did something that was hard. Even, you know, I know there's spiritual abuse. I know all of these things are very valid. So let's be honest about that, but let's yeah. also be honest about the good that we learned, the things that we discovered. Because one of my frustrations with this modern deconstruction movement is yeah. it's just so damn angsty and everything's negative. And I just don't think that's a way right. that we should move forward in our faith. Yeah, like you said, let's get upset. Let's get angry. Let's get down to our knees. Let's let's yell at it. Do what you got to do. But then like the ragged saint, like let's let's get back to our knees and let's eventually work our way towards standing and walking forward again, because mm. there's beauty in that. And, and I don't think any of us want to end mm. up staying down on the ground like that. My first book is called a necessary heretic. And I wrote it 
because I had so many people coming to me and, um, and asking me to just tell them my new theology. I was doing a lot of, still doing speaking around and I just never really broadcast the views, the change of views that I had for a long time. Um, and, and I found people just gravitating to this and I wasn't the first person to do this. I, 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 the, I, I don't mean to name drop, but one of the guys that was a really powerful, powerful um, person in my own journey was a guy named Brennan Manning, mm. um, who I had the privilege to meet just because I was the low guy on the totem pole at a camp that he was speaking at, and my job was to go pick up speakers. So it was nothing sure. to do with, <laughs> I was just that guy. And I got to, I ended up getting to spend a lot of time with him. And then we kept writing letters afterwards. And he would he would joke with me, say these evangelicals keep thinking I'm one of them, and I just let them believe that. And um, and he would just speak about grace, so or about a God that was so much less um, judgmental or punishing, less shameful, less shaming. I remember still being in the evangelical churches, but having a lot of evangelical church, but having having a lot of doubts, having a lot of questions, reading Brendan Manning, and like looking around, like. I don't even think they're reading these books because they would never promote him if they knew what he's actually saying. <laughs> it's, right. it's like they were so pro yeah. and Manning, but it felt like there's no way you're actually reading these books. No, he's, right. He's he's asking some really hard questions and he's proposing some really unique ideas that I'm not yeah. sure people would get excited about. I hear you. I hear you. He was like that. And so I he was a model for me of you know, taking this message into a group of people that I think are so can be so hard on themselves and want so badly to not disappoint God and and to reach their highest potential, which I just think is so admirable. And um, but um, the to your question about shame, um, that the message that their core is bad was is really tough to shake. How much of that do you think is tied to, I mean, I grew up Catholic I grew, and going into the evangelical space. I grew up with this idea of original sin, that I am a right. filthy sinner in yeah. that of somebody needing, you know, having to get killed. So I'll be okay. Do you think there's at least a piece of that? Maybe that that is at play. How could it not be? Right. I mean, the whole story for me is when you step out of it, it's like this holy shit kind of moment. Like what are, wait a minute. All parts of that story are are so damaging. Um, there, again, t- let me just say this: that when I was at the stage where the world felt chaotic mm-hmm. and like nothing made sense, and there's no meaning in life, when I was in co- you know my college fraternity right. days, that I didn't hear that message at its at at a, at that level. Yeah. For me, it just meant there's an answer for this dirtiness that you see around. And that was all I cared about. That's all I heard was there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a story around this dirtiness. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the story of the cross was beautiful. And, and that it, that's the only level I heard of that was just this sense of there is a divine, a div- the, 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 the God, there is a God that sees the dirtiness mm-hmm. and, and loves the people that are stuck in it. That message was life-saving for me. 
it's this weird challenge, right? So that what you just said is one of the most beautiful, important messages for all of us to understand, right? That we're still lovable in spite of, you know, the dirt, the junk, the, the ragged edges. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of contradicting that, but that doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up or feel like we're nothing or feel like we have no value. So there's some sort of weird middle ground that we almost have to find in the midst. I like that idea. The middle gets, um, stigmatized almost right. like being lukewarm like a mm -hmm. revelation two kind of a thing mm -hmm. be hot or be cold but don't be lukewarm or i'll spit you out of my mouth it's like no 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 no, no. that's not what he meant right. there is a great radical middle yeah that is nothing lukewarm about it yeah. it is Absolutely. it is a radical commitment to hearing other people a radical commitment to figuring out how do you and i find our way not me find my way bishop desmond tutu he wrote about this like african term called ubuntu i believe is how you pronounce oh. it and he oh. would say the way he described it is he said you know in america how people say how are you doing and then you tell them how you're doing he said in africa we say ubuntu which means how are we doing Oh, it's almost, you know, just a totally different mindset. Fantastic. And, and I love that, you know, going back way to the beginning of our conversation, how like even in your practice, like you're not limiting the type of people that you're meeting with. You're meeting with couples, you're meeting with conservative people, you're meeting with liberal people. And I think there's so much value in that. I love the idea of the radical middle. I love the question of how are we doing? I have a little studio in my house as well, where I do, do recording as well. And I remember sitting there one day and I thought, I'm going to go back. This was probably about that four-year, five-year mark where I thought, I'm going to go back and listen to some of my old Christian music. Hmm. And I remember playing this song and one of the lyrics is, um, the disease of self runs through my veins. It's a cancer to my soul. And um, I remember that song, I had loved that song. Um, I think it was by DC Talk or something like mm -hmm. that. And uh, I want to be in the light, something like that. And I love that song. Sang that song in my car with the windows down and Absolutely. Wisconsin sunsets and just <laughs> love that song. And um, But I remember hearing that line and just feeling sick in my stomach mm -hmm. about what I had been subtly telling myself over and over and over and over and over again that the, that myself was a disease like cancer and that feeling of horror it's it was kind of like when i work with people that come out of families and they'll be telling me something that their mom a message that their mom or dad would be giving them about how awful they were and they're so used to it that they just tell it as a matter of fact in, in as they're telling this story their mom would say that and i'll say whoa whoa, whoa. Wait, what did what did they tell you? And there's this moment where I'll watch them say it again, and it's like their eyes open and they have that, oh my God, moment of this is what I've been telling myself. And so for me, I didn't make this idea, but there's the idea for me of shame is that there is there's a healthy shame and a toxic shame. And the healthy shame is we can see it in some of the politicians right now where they have no shame. Mm -hmm. They say whatever they, they they say whatever they want, but regardless of how true it is, regardless of whose feelings it hurts, it does not matter. It's just laced with with venom and whatever. That's someone who has to me, they have no sense of of healthy community shame. Healthy shame is what helps us to be good citizens. Mm -hmm. Like a sense of it's it's very tied to loving my neighbor. It's a very communal base. It's the reason I don't speed. 
Mm. The reason I don't speed is because I don't want to put someone else's life in danger, let alone mine. I got it. It's the reason why I obey traffic laws. It's Mm -hmm. because I have a sense of shame. And when I don't obey those things and someone gives me a look, that's, I want to hear that. I want to thank them for that look that says, hey, be a better citizen, rise up, be a part of something that we need to all work together. That's the healthy kind of shape. That's that's it's it's what uh, Brene Brown calls that guilt. And then for me, we're talking about what you do. For me, that's healthy shame. I don't sit, feel a sense of guilt there. I sense I sense a feeling of communal wrongness. I've I have not participated in the community the way I'm called to. When Jesus says, "I want you to love yourself, your neighbor as yourself," that's tied to that sense of you are not by yourself. You are a part of something. Be better. Mm-hmm. Don't be a jerk. Um, that's, that's healthy, you know, um, toxic shame is that's that shame that I, that cancer to can't myself is cancer. My, myself is a, and I don't even like shaming cancer. You know, it's like, I don't even like the whole thing is just so messed up for me. That idea that I am garbage to me comes from theologians who I think really struggled with the thinking that they were garbage Luther. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just, he so many dad issues um so there's a there's a there's a for me that recovery of how do i start to sit for me it's good four things good gifted flawed and growing and my core is good i am trying the best i can and i really try to look at people um who are very difficult to see them like a pearl covered over with many, many, many layers of defense mechanisms, wounds, outdated, you know, cultural beliefs that they're getting taught. I'm amazed right now at the at the way people are being taught. There's things that I, I, I go, how do you believe that? And I know that in their little town, they're getting bombarded with social right. media teaching them this. Well, okay, so that's why you're now spouting this stuff that looks so horrible. And, but I think that if I were to take, my theory is if I could take you, put you in a place where there were really healthy, loving, insightful, evolved people, I bet you a really great thing. I bet you, I bet you I would start to get to know the real you. Yeah. yeah. Um, flawed. I cause harm every week. I t- I joke all the time that one of my main disciplines in, in doing therapy is to apologize. I say the wrong thing. I didn't do the right. I, I said it either didn't say the right thing or I said the wrong thing. And, um, I didn't grow up in a family where apologizing was really a value and it really is a strong value for me. It's just that it's an, it's inevitable that I'm going to say the wrong thing because I'm trying. That's, that takes out so much shame for me when I can just go, yeah, I, I know there's probably two, there's probably there's two or three ways that I probably consistently cause harm and I'm much better at it than I was 10 years ago. And I'll be much better 10 years from now, but that's the kind of toxic shame that um, that I have a real heart for people as they go through that journey of finally and then and then Matt past that what am I supposed to love them because I was told that the only love that I'm deserving is through the lens of this Christ figure and I'm saying no 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 there's a you that actually if J- Jesus is sitting right here next to you right now goes no 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 that's not true I love you with everything that you have and bring. And I know all the things that you've been through and all of it, all of it, just like you would with a little kid, just like you do with your little four-year-old or your little five-year-old. They've done all this stuff and you just love them for, they may exasperate you and they may make you, you know, go to the end of your rope at times, but 
you're not saying, gosh, I sure would love you if you just weren't a piece of crap. Right. And I right. feel like that's the message. That's the message of what I call, I call what I call original Jesus. Uh, this Jesus that is to me before the theology gets put on top of him was trying to talk about a God that was more like a good parent um, that would see things so much differently. So that's how I work through that idea. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Where do you, in your world over there on the, the West coast, where do you see hope in our world? Where do you see hope maybe in your practice in humanity, I guess? Sure. Well, this is a pandering. Uh, this is going to sound pandering, but honest to goodness, Matt, what you're doing is hope. Hmm. There is so much what you're doing and what I, you know, there's there's some other really good folks that you are now providing a place like this where there can be a warm conversation where other people can learn, you know, listen in and allow their own stories to compare and contrast and disagree with some of the things we're saying and agree. Like the point of uniformity is is no longer the point. Special thanks to David Lutz for being on the show today. Make sure you get your hands on that book, Freedom for the Ragged Saint. I'll put a link right in the show notes so you can just go straight to Amazon and grab that. Otherwise, just hop on Amazon, put it in the search engine, and you will find it. Had such a great conversation. Looking forward to more in the future. As always, you can find me on my website, which is just mattkinzera.com. You can also find the book Bring It Home there. I am on Facebook and Instagram, begrudgingly. And <laughs> those are just under my name, Matt Kinzera. You can also find this podcast, Chasing Goodness, on Facebook. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.